Podcasting is one of the fastest growing mediums, and it can be thought of like networking. If you had 52 conversations per year, that's one a week, with prospects and partners in your niche, new revenue is certain to come from that. That's just a sample of what we'll discuss in today's episode. Today I'm joined by someone truly special. He's a serial entrepreneur, having founded Lead Cookie, a B2B lead generation agency, and Content Allies, an agency helping B2B companies build revenue-generating podcasts by building relationships that drive revenue via podcast networking. Those of you who know me already can probably tell I'm super excited because my guest is a pioneer in this whole space of this whole motif, this whole concept of building revenue through podcast-based networking, a lead generation strategy that has changed my own life. Jake Jorgovan, welcome, my friend, to Profit with Podcasting. Thanks for having me on here, Noah. Such a pleasure to have you on the show, Jake. And I I must confess that uh, I am an ardent listener of your podcast, Working Without Pants, and then, of course, your other podcast, Leaders of B2B. So little, little fanboy stuff going on over here with me. But hey, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I'm so excited to have you, Jake. I am looking forward to a value-packed conversation today. There are so many different avenues that we could go down on this podcast today. But tell us first and foremost about how you got into podcasting with respect to what you guys teach at Content Allies, this notion of, you know, building a revenue generating podcast by fostering conversations with your, you know, hard to reach ideal prospects. Yeah. So I started with podcasting probably back in 2014, 2015. I don't even know why I was, you know, building my personal brand. I've been blogging for a long time. So podcasting was a nice natural evolution and it was really cool. I was putting out, you know, content and I built up an audience and stuff there, but what was really amazing before even the audience that came from it was just the relationship and the networking. And it was just something where I, I mean, I've looked back now and I think I'm working without pants. The time of this, I've done some 210 episodes or so. I believe like 45 of those converted to revenue in some capacity. I literally went back to the guests and was like, have any of the, like out of these guests, did that turn into revenue at some point? And I was just like, wow, like, you know, some of them, it takes time, you know, it's not like, right. it's not like, oh, I have the conversation the next day, but like, you just build relationships with people, you build kind of friendships with them, and uh, they turn into referral partners, some of them turn into customers. And it was just like, wow, that really is working. And so that kind of led to me eventually taking this toward content allies, and applying that to others, and trying to help other businesses who had even, you know, higher ticket sales and everything like there. And what I've we've really learned is you can do this in almost any industry. And it's just like an incredible channel where you're creating content, you're leading with value, and you're building these relationships uh, all at the same time. So it's it's been an amazing channel that we, we've really enjoyed working in. No doubt. No doubt, Jake. I, I absolutely love that. So I have described before on this podcast, this whole strategy, which I know different companies such as Content Allies and Sweetfish Media, you know, they might tackle it a little bit differently. Tell us, tell listeners who are maybe not entirely familiar with Content Allies, I just, you know, you'll probably say it better than I could, you know, what is meant by creating a 
you know, revenue generating podcast. How does Content Allies help their clients generate revenue from podcasting? Yeah. So what I like to say is like, I think there's really two kind of ways you can go with podcasting. And one is, you know, like the really high quality content that's meant to educate and form and kind of like entertain your audience. But I think that that is something that really at this day and age is primarily focused at bigger companies that have distribution to get that kind of content out there. And I think trying to play the like highest quality content game in podcasting is not something that's really doable for a lot of smaller companies. And so the angle that we look for with for a lot of smaller companies or you know even like venture backed companies, so we work with a lot of startups in that space is we really go toward this like networking angle. And like the general strategy is, you know, uh, you want to take and create a show that focuses around featuring your ideal customer. And so uh, it's just like our show Leaders of B2B, it's a great example of this. We want to interview um, CEOs, executives, marketing directors at B2B companies. So we create a show that is kind of like featuring and focusing on them. We know we didn't create, you know, like the podcasting show. We actually eventually created, we have another podcast now called the Guide to B2B Podcasting. That's like an intentional content play. But from the networking angle, our ROI really comes from the kind of networking based approach. And so we've got this for a bunch of industries. We've got clients that work in talent acquisition. And so we created uh, you know, talent acquisition leaders as another podcast. We've got uh, LTC heroes for a client in long-term care. And uh, we, you know, we've kind of done these like various different approaches, but the whole thing is create a show that is going to feature your ideal customers. So then you can go reach out and interview them, network with them, and you're building content that's going to attract and be valuable for them because now they're getting to hear content from a bunch of their other peers, other experts in the industry. Uh, everything like that. And then you can repurpose that into social media content, into articles, into videos. And so from this like one kind of channel, you get this amazing networking that's going to let you build these authentic relationships. Yes. And you get this content all in the back end as well. That is so cool. Listeners, to provide some context personally to what Jake was saying, I first discovered this whole concept of, you know, B2B podcast based networking a few years ago. I had created several podcasts that were doing well. I had grown them to very large listenerships. One of my podcasts was getting 50K downloads a month, but my family had some connections, business connections in the homeschooling industry, which is now $2.5 billion industry. And what I did is I created a podcast. It wasn't the best title in the world, but it was called Lessons from a Homeschooler because I am a homeschool graduate. And I only did the show for nine episodes. And in those episodes, I was featuring uh, business owners of online curriculum, you know, homeschooling products. And across nine interviews, four of those were turned into immediate revenue. I got two job offers and then, you know, some features in, you know, major media and, and trade publications and so forth. So it was around that time, Jake, if that was 2019 that I first discovered some of your work. I read Stephen Wessner's book, Profitable Podcasting, and it was like I was I was exposed to, I mean, I was already doing some of it, but I was exposed to your work and the work of some other great minds. So when you've identified and you've created a podcast you know, centered around your ideal prospect, client, strategic partner, so forth, and you invite them on the show and you have that interview, what are the best next steps, right? Like you want it to be authentic, but you kind of have an agenda. I mean, you know, of course you want to create content, provide value, but how do you then further the conversation after you've finished the recording? 
I actually, so my other co-host of Leaders of B2B, David Ledgerwood, we actually did a podcast interview on this. And so I can kind of share that with you after this, which can be good because we dive into like, there's different approaches. He's pretty kind of direct where he's like, you know, like I really, not with everybody, but if like, if he thinks someone's going to be a good host and like the model fits them after what he learns in the interview, he's like, Hey, like, it's really cool. Like I, you know, I'm enjoying the interview, but like, if, you know, if this is something that's interesting you, I think this could be really cool. Like, would you be open to another conversation to talk about it? So he's, he's kind of more direct with it. My approach candidly is like, I, I kind of slow play it. And that's like what I like and feels natural for me where I like, I'm very much just about like building the relationships with people. And so, um, you know, I might kind of just toss out like, man, if you ever, if you're ever thinking about podcasting or something like that, I'll kind of toss it out there. Cause you know, normally they'll ask a little bit, you know, you've got some time to chit chat beforehand. So I'll just kind of see if anything naturally kind of happens. And then I always also like look for ways to get deliver value. So I love like finding, I love introducing people together. So I'm often thinking like, okay, like, is there someone else I can introduce them to that would be valuable and like make a connection? Like that's always like great. Like as soon as you kind of like make an introduction and it's like a good introduction between two people, then suddenly like you become kind of like this, I don't know, you're just like more remembered and you're kind of on a casual basis. And yeah. And um, so that's been good. And then sometimes like I'll typically wait until the episode goes live. We send them all the materials. And then at some point after that, I might just kind of send an email saying like, hey, like I would you know, love to chat and kind of go there. So I slow play it and I find that that it, I don't know, it feels more authentic to me. But again, we've got other people that are more direct. And but I, I think a lot of times, as you'll see, like it just happens, even if you're not intending for it. It's just yeah. like you just interview people. And like, even if you're not trying to make it all happen, like it just does. And I find that goes. And so that's why I kind of go the slow play, because I find that if I slow play it, a lot of times it just happens in it there regardless. So, you know, you can go more direct, go slow, but that's my approach. Yeah. And, and that's the approach that I had used successfully in the past too, Jake was kind of more of a slow play, which for me wasn't so slow. I mean, you know, the exact dates, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I would say those contacts that were converted into some kind of revenue, it was maybe between one to three months after the interview was recorded and released, sometimes more, sometimes six months, sometimes a year later, it just depended. That's so, so fascinating. So because one of the things I've heard is there's many different approaches to doing this, as you just described, Jake, and I've heard people who will come up with these like whole sort of relationship nurture sequences where the interview goes live and then, you know, they might send the prospect a book or a framed quote uh, from the interview. And that's maybe like a six month plus thing. But with you, it sounds like it's much more casual after the interview. It's, you know, simply being valuable and sending an email. Yeah, I think that that's kind of what it is. It's just like trying to build the relationship. Yeah, I mean, it's that's cool. Like people like putting on like the whole kind of crazy nurture frame and quotes, you know, like there's <laughs> there's things there. I'm like, that's, that's awesome, man. Like uh, more power to you. Like that could be a cool thing. Great thing to do as well. But I would say like, you know, one of the things that I think about is just, you know, I actually ran an outbound agency and I built the cookie prior to this. And one of the things I just know is from when you're doing outreach to anybody, they may not be in a buying cycle for what you have at that moment. And that's just something you've got to recognize. And so when you're reaching out and it's like, if you're trying to go in there and expect a sale right away, or you're expecting some activity right away, like they just might not be ready to buy, like, you know, and so it could be just a very slow thing. Like I've got uh, one of our clients, he he's, you know, he's like, hey, I've got, you know, like six opportunities on this, but like our sales cycles a year. And so he's like, the fact that they're showing interest is cool because I know like when budget season comes around, yeah, then like we can talk. But it's just like it's, it's a long, slow play for him. That's kind of, you know, 
just some of the thoughts where I'm at with it is like, you just got to respect with like outbound as a channel and that it takes a little bit longer as well. Right, right. That's exactly right. Now, I'd love to pick your brain, Jake, on sort of the initial, like the first method of communication that you're sending to these prospects, which I'm assuming a lot of times is an email. Maybe you're hitting them up via DM on social media, depending on the type of personality they are. You know, what are some tips that you would give listeners? Because it is it as simple as, you know, hi, insert prospect's name. I host a podcast that XYZ, maybe you're garnering a halo effect, maybe you're quoting some of your download numbers, you're establishing credibility. Is it that simple or do you like, just tell us a little bit if you would like what that looks like. Yeah, it really isn't that complex. I think most people are more afraid of this than it is in reality, but some of the things there, um, I never start sentences with I, it's always them focused. And so that's a simple thing. Anytime you're writing an email, this is like, just look at it and does any sentence start with I and figure out a way to make it not start with I and make it them focused instead. So that's one small trick, but really like the biggest thing that it comes down to is um, social proof with the show. And um, so a couple of things we do, we always have a website up for the podcast um, whenever we're beginning the outreach. Um, so that is something really useful. We have like an about page and a nice looking site and like the artwork is done. So you have that all to showcase so it looks legitimate. Other things we do is then from social proof, we're going to basically look at either what's their existing distribution? Do they have an email list that this can be sent out to? Do they have a large social media following? Like what kind of distribution can we call this toward this? And then the second thing we'd also look at is, you know, what other kind of credible guests do they have on? So one of the things we always try to do is any of our clients were like, hey, can you get on like a few just, you know, like household names in your industry on the show from your network? And if you can get even like two or three of those, then we can be like, oh, cool. So, you know, we had Adidas, Nike and, you know, Coca-Cola on the show or guests from these companies. And then everybody's like on board. And so right. those are kind of the key things that we look for is distribution numbers. And if you don't have it, then leaning on trying to get a few credible guests, ideally from your network to start with. And don't use the credible guest if you don't actually have household names. Like it's always really awkward when people like try to use that. And it's like they mentioned somebody I've never heard of. So it's got to be something where like people are going to know who that person is. So or that or that company is. So right, right. And that is that is great. That is great advice. Listeners, don't be afraid of that initial outreach. And you have to center it around your prospect because people you know, that that's how we as human beings react is when attention is centered on us and it makes us feel good. We are more keen to say yes to things and reciprocate. Very simply put, tell us more, Jake, if you would, about your personal journey to founding content allies. You know, it sounded like you, I mean, you're a serial entrepreneur. You had been doing lead cookie, you know, previously you had sort of been, you know, engaged in this B2B podcasting world. What made you pull the trigger and say, you know what, we can do this for other people? Yeah. So I built up Lead Cookie, which is a great company. It's a B2B lead generation agency. It's still running today. We do LinkedIn and cold email outreach. But I just over time learned I did not love that industry. What I found was that there's basically like an inherent level of churn baked into lead generation, outbound lead generation. Right. And what I found was that the companies that actually scale into like millions in that industry tend to be like churn and burn, really low quality, don't actually care about their customers. And they're just trying to sign more than they, they churn off. Right. And I was like, I don't want to do that. I would rather be an agency where you know we plateau a little bit under a million and we just do really great quality work and that we can sleep at night and know we're not 
spamming because there's a lot of people in this industry where I'm like, I don't know how you sleep at night. Um, so uh, <laughs> that that was kind of like the, the the first kind of business I built. But I realized when I realized I was like, okay, this is not a company I want to scale. I said, okay, like where do I want to where do I want to build a business that can scale? And I focused basically around content marketing. That's when I created Content Allies and. We honestly went through several iterations um, of like doing social media content. We did kind of blog writing and thought leadership content for a while. And then we were kind of like, ah, there's things I didn't love about scaling either of those offers. Um, and so eventually I was like, okay, we're just going to be a generalist content agency, try this out for six months and see what happens. And out of that, we started actually producing some podcasts for other people. And that seemed to be the thing that just really landed for us. Like I was able to have the best systems in place. Like I, just, I don't know why I didn't land on this sooner. Like I had just streamlined the hell out of my own podcasting process with my own show yeah. to where it was like record email to my VAs. And then like everything happens. And like, I was like, why did I not think to do this sooner and like hand this over to other people? So that's where we started kicking that off. Um, you know, and producing podcast people about a, probably about a year and a half ago. And then uh, around a year ago, we just really kind of went all in on podcasting. So, and that's another key. And I know you covered this uh, in your um, series on B2B podcasting is, you know, I was, I was going to ask you next, Jake, about some of the biggest um, things that you would encourage people, you know, who are considering podcasting and content allies as a, you know, lead generation strategy for their business. And I'll get to that question, but Systems and processes, I mean, that is so overused in business, but it's so critical, particularly in podcasting. You know, if you do one interview a week and you can get in front of, that's 52 right fit prospects potentially for your company, I mean, that's incredible. But there are so many layers to podcasting, especially when the big boys are here to play and they're here to stay, the big networks. I mean, no longer can you just burp into an iPhone and upload it to Apple Podcasts. You need to run a professional uh, professional thing, especially if you're talking to executives and other B2B leaders. So what are some of those systems that you found like essential to mm -hmm. the success of your show? Yeah, the key of it is really it takes a lot of people. It takes a that's that and that's what's the hard part about yeah. companies to build podcasting internally is so every single episode, basically, we have basically essentially like a, a podcast manager that's overseeing that entire show, making sure everything goes well. But that podcast manager is going to hand that to a writer who does the show notes, who does the articles, who does the social media posts. Um, that's also then going to get handed to an audio editor who's going to edit the audio. Then we have a video editor who's going to create the YouTube videos as well as social media clips. And then we need to have a designer who's going to create all the thumbnails, all the quote blocks, all the graphics, everything there. Then you need to have a QA team who double checks all that stuff to make sure there's no typos or anything in there. And then after that, you basically need to have ideally your creative review. So you need to have a, a someone who's actually looking at it not for typos, but from like the creative standpoint. So it'd be like your producer. And then after that, you need to have someone who actually uploads, publishes the whole thing live. And so like, I think I just named off seven or eight roles that are involved in this. And so that's where like what we have just built internally is just a really robust streamlined process to hand that thing from one to the next, where at any given point, we've got over a hundred podcast episodes in production. And, you know, we're running all of those and just able to knock that out and really never miss a publishing deadline due to our own internal issues or anything. It's only ever like client delays or guest delays or something. So that is the hard part of podcasting and like why I think most companies end up needing a partner. You can definitely 
get started and kind of do the scrappy way. And there's like a lot of tools and like things that are out there that let you do it on your own. So you can get some value there. But if you want to sound professional, having a company that handles all that is definitely essential, especially if you're running like a business as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that's where a lot of people fail. And that's where a lot of people, you know, they pod fade in their podcasts. Don't make it past seven episodes. What are some of the other things, Jake, that you've seen? There's got to be a better term than B2B podcasters, but I'll just use that for now. What What are some of the things that you've seen them do wrong that have maybe cost them a lot of great potential connections? Biggest thing I would say is they make a show focused on their peers instead of their prospects. And yeah. so uh, we've had, uh, we have um, a client of ours who, you know, for example, they, they do B2B video testimonials. And so he wanted like, they kind of do like customer storytelling is how they phrase it. So it's like, I want to start like the customer storytelling podcast. And I was like, that's cool, but no one's going to want to be a guest on that. Cause like you're an expert in customer storytelling. No, like no CMO would say I'm an expert at customer storytelling. And the ones that would, would not be a good fit for you. So like you want to make a show that features again, your ideal customer. And so I'd say that is probably the number one mistake I see people make is they make a show all about their own thing, what they do. And then no one, none of their customers or prospects want to be a guest on that. And so that's like a thought leadership angle. It's a way you can go. Like, that's why we created a guide to B2B podcasting because it is an approach, but I think it's a lower value approach for more businesses. Like we did this because like, it's honestly, it's like the easiest way for me to create, you know, educational content, sales enablement content is to like record a quick episode and then send it to my, through my whole production queue and everything like that. And so, um, and I think it works that, that approach works well for bigger companies, but for small companies, it's like, I think the networking based approach is, is almost always a much quicker route to ROI. Absolutely. And, and I'm assuming that, you know, th- through the podcast that you guys do at content allies that you work with. I mean, obviously you're making them look and sound amazing and you're providing advice and all of these great media assets, you know, slicing and dicing content and so forth. But ultimately I'm assuming number of downloads really is not important in terms of the return on investment of these shows. It's all about the relationships, isn't it? I'd say it is. And I mean, like we want to see downloads. We want to see that grow. But um, I think one of the things that where I think a lot of people, when they see like podcast download numbers, it can feel underwhelming, especially compared to like, I don't know, like it's crazy. We'll get more social like like engagements on like the the social content sometimes than people download the episode. Um, and it's just kind of like the the nature, I think, of podcasting and extent, especially like a smaller business podcasting. But I think the way to look at it is like, let's say, you know, you get 50, 100, 250 downloads on a show, like that may not sound like a crazy amount. But I think the thing to look at is like, if you were at a conference and you got on stage and gave a presentation to like, you know, 200 people or even like a room of 50 people that were like your ideal buyers, would you be happy doing that? And I think that's a really good way to kind of frame it because like that is like the intimate kind of relationship you're building with people with podcasting is, it's like they're just in a room like watching your your kind of presentation there. So it's something there where I think the downloads, again, like the relationships, I think, are the core drivers and downloads come over time if you're consistent and you kind of do the work to promote the show and everything. But I always look at that as even if the numbers aren't huge, especially like for so many of our clients, they're just in like a super small, tight niche where it's yes. like, you know, it's where we're targeting like, you know, directors of long-term care facilities in the United States. It's like, there's like, there's probably only like a, like, 2000 of those people in the US. <laughs> right. So like, you know, if we get a show that has like, you know, a couple hundred downloads an episode, like that's 
that's like you're hitting actually like a pretty large percentage of the market. Um, so oh, yeah. like that's the thing I think to realize about smaller niche shows as well. That, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. You know, the downloads are great. And, and, you know, especially compared to like YouTube, right? Where everybody dreams of, of getting the silver button from YouTube, 100,000 subscribers and, and so forth. And, you know, since YouTube is just, you know, it's, it's a creative engine that's so ingrained in our culture. I think, I mean, podcasting is now and it's getting there, especially these days, but you know, the download numbers from a podcast, which even, even like the history of Vikings, one of my shows, I mean, 50 K downloads a month is pretty good in podcasting, but you know, 50,000 views on a YouTube video is good, but it's not, you know, out of this world, I think. So it's important to keep that in mind. Listeners is, you know, really think that those are human beings. Those are individuals tuning into your show. And if you're focusing on a really key niche, uh, and those people are within that niche, that is very powerful. And your thought leadership, you know, your cornerstone content through your podcast is going to build revenue for your company, which is, is so exciting. So Jake, tell us about then content allies, who are your, you know, ideal connections for that company? Cause I know you still have, you know, podcasts that you do. And I know working without pants, I mean, you have a great case study on your website. I think it's something like, isn't it 40 something out of, I don't remember, is it 150 interviews converted into some sort of revenue for you? Yeah. 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 So the, the audience and who we're targeting has shifted over time today. Content allies were mostly working with, I would say B2B tech companies as well as large scale enterprises. So we're producing, um, Podcasts for companies as big as Facebook and Siemens Energy. And then we also have some podcasts that are, you know, for smaller like solo consultants or consulting firms who, um, you know, are you know, doing well and can kind of afford and see the ROI from this. So we've got a pretty wide range from the large enterprises down to even like, you know, smaller businesses and, you know, consulting firms. But I would say, you know, kind of growing companies that are, you know, uh, established have some revenue, have money to put behind marketing and behind this approach and just want it done for them. Um, that's where we come in where it's like, it's white glove. We do it all for you. You show up an hour a week and we pretty much handle the whole process. So um, that's kind of our, our gamut of customers there. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, you know, one of the things too, that I'm really intrigued with, with this whole, this whole concept of, of building a revenue generating podcast is, you know, having ideal prospects on your show and, turning them into clients for lack of a better term, or having some sort of collaboration or partnership is one way to build revenue. But there are other great ways that you can collaborate with your podcast guests. I mean, Jake, tell us about some of the other cool things that, that you've seen happen through your shows and those of your clients, like maybe not necessarily the direct client relationships, but the partnerships, the strategic partnerships. Yeah. I mean, I would say I've done a ton of guest appearances on like webinars for companies as a result of this. That has driven a ton of revenue, just kind of those kind of relationships or doing training with other people or guest posting on their site. That has been really big. Most recently, uh, we turned two of these into basically um, podcast sponsorships. So we're now the official sponsor of the SaaS Connect Conference and the Traction Conference where basically we're producing their podcast and all their kind of media content for the the conference and association. And basically, um, in turn, like we're basically the, the sponsors of it and everything. So it's a really cool thing where um, I've seen like those kind of come and like that's now like 
getting us in the door a hub to kind of broadcast us. So the other way, I think the most, the second, like if it's not a direct client relationship, the second thing is build a relationship with someone with an audience of your ideal customers and figure out how to get like through that nurturing to like leverage and offer like to promote, to get like promote somehow to their audience. Like that is the biggest thing that has been super huge. You know, like we've had email blasts go out as a result of this. So there's a number of things there, but yeah, finding people with your audience of customers that I think is the second best and sometimes even better approach than direct customers. It is, it, it is. And, and that's something that I have, I have witnessed too through my podcasts is, you know, for example, for, for my, my, my very mass marketing sort of directed podcast in, in the history genre, the history of Vikings, you know, this very niche, very interesting topic. I was keen to get a book deal with a major history publisher, which I did successfully because I had several authors who in turn knew editors and key players within that publishing industry on my podcast. So that was sort of a longer term play. And, you know, why did I want to write a book aside from the fact that I find writing very interesting and exciting is I wanted the halo effect and the possible connections that could come from that. So even though the book is due to be published next year, the fact that I said, hey, I wrote a book with insert name of this major publisher, that alone has gotten me features in you know, the Independent UK, the History Channel, it, countless other opportunities to be featured in major media within that niche. So that's just a great example of, again, you have to really think broadly about who knows who. And I think be specific and intentional about the, if you're asking people for introductions or about who you want to connect with. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jake, it has been a pleasure having you on the show today. I've learned a great deal from you and I thank you so much for joining me today. I'll include links to content allies, your personal website, your podcast, lead cookie, and more in the description of this episode. But before I let you go, is there anything that you would like to leave our audience with today? Yeah, I'd say the biggest thing is I think there's a lot of people have kind of hurdles or roadblocks to getting started with podcasting, like what's the strategy going to be, you know, like is anyone, how am I going to build an audience, all these things. And I'll tell you, just like, just start with it. Cause it's crazy where it will take you. Like I, I did not have things perfectly figured out when I started my podcast, I ended up rebranding it at around episode 30. Um, and I did, but I just kept going and now it's been literally one of the highest ROI business investments I've ever made. So it's something where I just say, you know, like just jump in with it and find someone who can kind of guide you on the journey. And um, that'll, just go a really long way. And that could be Content Allies listeners. Link to that company in the description of this episode. Jake Jorgovin, thanks so much again for joining me today. Thanks for having me on here, Noah. Thank you for listening to Profit with Podcasting. If you enjoyed today's show, please leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts if that's where you're listening from. 